The China and Africa podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Africa-China Reporting Project at Witt University in Johannesburg. The ACRP promotes balanced, considered reporting on Africa-China relations through innovative training programs held throughout the year. More information at africachinareporting.co.za. Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden, a senior China-Africa researcher at the South African Institute of International Affairs in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Kobus, I have to admit that I have been dreading today's show for quite some time, years in fact, <laughs> uh, that we are going to be talking about uh, the South African power company ESCOM and the Chinese role in what is a hot stinking pile of a mess that is going on politically electri- uh, in terms of power generation. And it's interesting because we just had a discussion a few weeks ago about the Lamu coal power plant, and it really brings up the point that power issues in Africa are at the heart of the entire development story. Is That is, if you don't have a solid power generation plan, electricity plan, nothing else happens. And the debates that are going on across the continent – are absolutely fascinating. And China, in many ways, is at the heart of these in terms of funding or saving or somehow being involved in them. And there's no dispute that China has a role in ESCOM. Let me give a few points of background about ESCOM. And then, Kobus, I'm really going to turn over this this whole discussion to you because it is very, very complicated. This is uh, ESCOM is South Africa's beleaguered state-owned power utility. The company supplies almost all of the country's electricity and it was uh, forced to initiate earlier this year managed blackouts. And the utility has $30 billion in debt. And that raises the issue that ESCOM now is simply too big to fail and too big to be able to save at the same time because it is not generating enough money from its output in order to offset the losses that it's generating. Now, let me just give a little bit of some background before we get started on what Cyril Ramaphosa, the South African president, and what he feels is going on. And he says there is no silver bullet to save ESCOM. And a lot of people look to the Chinese as that silver bullet because a couple of years ago, there was a major deal put in place that was going to potentially bring billions of dollars from the China-Africa Development Fund into ESCOM, but that never came about. So what we're going to listen to now, just as a setup, is the parliamentary reply session where questions were asked to Ramaphosa about his comments in this year's State of the Nation regarding ESCOM, and here's what he had to say. The unprecedented failure of ESCOM's generating capacity over the last few days underlines the severity of the challenges the company faces and the urgency of measures that are needed to address them. For those who have doubted the extent of these challenges. This week's load shedding has provided a hugely damaging reality check. There is no single solution to the problems at ESCOM. There just is no one silver bullet. Neither is restructuring, nor refinancing, nor cost-cutting, nor tariff increases, nor better plant maintenance on their own will have necessary effect. We need to pursue all of these measures and more simultaneously in a coordinated fashion and with purpose 
to turn the utility around. To turn the utility around, that's what Ramaphosa is saying. It will not have a silver bullet. Kobus, uh, China was in fact seen, as we mentioned, as a silver bullet. But what is your take on ESCOM and the, and the severity of the situation? Oh, this is <laughs> this is the worst. <laughs> this it's such a difficult situation because it touches on so many different things. So a few a few a few ex, you know kind of explanatory notes. In the first place, when South Africans say load shedding, what they mean um, is loaded uh, rolling blackouts um, scheduled according to suburb, um, usually for about you know two to six hours at a time. So so you would actually look on a schedule and say, okay, my suburb is going to be dark from like two to six this afternoon, for example. It causes massive chaos right through the city. Um, you know, you're talking about kilometers and kilometers of traffic because all the traffic lights are out. Sometimes water pumping is affected. Sometimes the internet is affected. Um, so it, it has this massive kind of rolling effect, you know, kind of that, that hits the economy very, very hard. Keep in mind that South Africa um, obviously is a mining country. So both the mines and mineral processing plants take massive amounts of electricity. Um, and, and in the past, South Africa has built a lot of its, of its industrial capacity on giving very favorable rates, electricity rates, to companies. Um, at the same time, because of, because of apartheid, there's massive shortfalls in the consumer grid in South Africa. Um, so like very like large parts of, of rural South Africa has very little access to electricity. Um, so there's massive political pressure to, to roll out electricity. There's massive industrial pressure to keep it stable for, for industry. And then at the same time, the utility has been hijacked by, especially during the Zuma era, by corrupt politicians. So there is an incredible amount of very murky deals that were signed by by different kind of actors within this utility. Um, so the over the over the Zuma era, the the debt carried by ESCOM has almost has gone almost uh, has increased almost ten times. Um, so it, you know, there's now the situation where, you know, if if the, if one loan payment is is missed, that essentially puts the entire South African economy into jeopardy, um, and that is actually where China comes in because um, early, late last year um, there was a, a loan approved uh, by China Development Bank that would that would loan 2.5 billion to ESCOM. Um, and at the time, it was that the, it, it raised a lot of anxiety in South Africa around debt trap issues. You know, so so if if people who've listened to us over the last few years um, will have heard several episodes where we talk about this this narrative that China uses debt as a kind of form of leverage to take over assets. Um, in the case of <laughs> in the case of ESCOM, you know, I think I think a Chinese takeover is probably best case scenario rather than worst case scenario. Um, but so there was a lot of, of of anxiety around like whether China is going to use debt as a form of leverage um, in, in relation to ESCOM. This year, the, the, the flip side of the story came out when um, I think that the China, China, China Development Bank, I think, realized um, how much corruption and how much, how much uh, all kinds of mismanagement there is in ESCOM. And they actually delayed the, the payment of a $500 million 
tranche of this of this two point five billion dollar uh, loan to to Eskom, which essentially almost wrecked the South African economy. L- literally, the South African economy was in the balance for for the time when th- that it took Eskom to to get an emergency covering loan from a South African bank um, to to cover this this shortfall. So what we're talking about is China being involved in these kind of massive massive loan loan payments, essentially to try and keep the the ship afloat, um, even as South Africans are trying are wondering how they're going to run an economy with no electricity. So we wanted to get some deeper perspective on ESCOM in order to be able to explain, kind of take what Kobus said and go one step further in part, because again, we're talking about Africa's second largest economy. And really, in so many ways, if Africa's second largest economy can't power itself, uh, that has implications for not just the African economy, but even beyond. So we're so happy to have the opportunity to speak with Professor Harmit Winkler, who's a professor of physics at the University of Johannesburg, where he was until recently also the head of the physics department. He's been at the University of Johannesburg for 16 years and taught both physics and astrophysics. And he's also a specialist in solar power generation and is a regular commentator on South African energy issues. Professor Winkler, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Oh, good afternoon. I'm happy to be part of this. So you, we've laid out this this buffet of a, of a hot mess, as I talked about. It is complicated. It is multifaceted. Um, it is, uh, you know, it is as about as serious as it gets in some ways, because if ESCOM fails, not only do South Africans not get power, but it has potential ramifications across the entire economic system in Southern Africa. Uh, talk to us a little bit about how you see this issue in terms of the big picture of the stakes that are involved here. Eskom being uh, the having a monopoly on, 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 on power supply in this country, and yes, this, this does date back uh, to the days when, uh, yeah, the apartheid era, when uh, essentially no, uh, this was considered a highly strategic um, uh, part, of, uh, part of the South African economy, what uh, sort of keeps uh, everything up and going. Unfortunately, this uh, this sort of uh, mindset, this framework, hasn't really been changed. Uh, you'll you'll normally find in most other countries there are you, there'll be several options of of how uh, electricity is supplied. Several suppliers, and you'll find a, a situation where quite often the generation of power uh, is privatized. Uh, this we don't have here. If somebody does want to start uh, some sort of a, a power generation project, even on a relatively small scale. Uh, they have to uh, go through a, a rather complicated process involving a lot of red tape and involving a lot of approvals. So essentially, without Eskom, it's very difficult to power anything other than maybe the uh, the heaters in, in, in your own home. Uh, that has been a, quite a serious stumbling block. And, and yes, and for that reason that, that Eskom uh, is seen as such a, a critical a, a asset and as such a critical part of the economy because literally all... Uh, all energy supply uh, it goes through it. And yes, as you rightly say, um, South Africa is also integrated with a Southern African network. We're hearing at the moment that Zimbabwe is going through uh, serious power cuts, uh, what, you, what you termed as, as, as load shedding. And, and that was essentially because of uh, uh, the dire predicament that Eskom finds itself in is that they've been told, look, um, you just simply need to recoup uh, your expenses. Now, in the past, uh, as, a, as, a, as a neighbor, uh, Zimbabwe would have simply said, look, we haven't got the funds right now. Can we maybe pay you later or whatever? And this would have normally happened, but not right now. 
uh, because of the situation that Eskom finds itself in, they are insisting uh, that Zimbabwe basically come up with a, with a, with a funding. And if they don't, they they're going to cut down on the uh, on, on on the electricity supply. And this is what's happened in Zimbabwe. To to even to add, to even add more complications onto onto the already you know big pile, um, there's, there's two things to keep in mind. One is that Eskom is a very big employer, which means that any kind of talk about privatizing it, breaking it up, like reforming in some kind of way, brings you up against very powerful trade unions in South Africa, and the trade unions are a, a, a political alliance member with the with the the ruling African National Congress. So so it it, it becomes a very complicated. Uh, political problem to solve. Second problem is that because, you know, South Africa, of course, is massively impoverished um, and there is a lot of kind of illegal connections to to uh, the power grid and also a lot of people who use power but who simply can't pay for it. And um, many, many municipalities are in hoc to ESCOM and simply not paying, you know, billions of dollars worth of, of, of arrears. Um, and it's almost impossible to, get to force them to pay. Um, so you know <laughs> that that kind of adds to adds to the problem. Um, Hartmut, uh, can, can you talk us a little bit through what some of the what what are some of the options that are on the table at the moment to try and fix some of this, and and what 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 are the different kind of chances of success? Yes, uh, well, yes, as you point out, Eskom is a large employer, and they're employing at, at, it's of the order of twenty twenty five percent more. Uh, people now than they were about 10 years ago, and yet uh, the the power produced and distributed is more or less the same. Uh, so the general feeling is that uh, th- that would be the one p- place where uh, Eskom could uh, save a lot on on its on its expenditure. But as you rightly pointed out, uh, that has all sorts of uh, implications, and it, it's very difficult at the moment in South Africa with very high unemployment rate to. Um, to go through with a with a with a large uh, sort of retrenchment uh, exercise. So whether that's going to happen or not, we, we'll have to see. Certainly, the um, the view is that the, uh, something must be done uh, about right now. We we're simply getting less uh, as much electricity with uh, about twenty five percent more uh, of a workforce than than one had before. Uh, but the plan uh, was uh, that Eskom should be split into three u- uh, units. The one being generation, so that's all the uh, coal, solar, nuclear power stations. Uh, the other one being transmission, so that's really the operation of the electricity grid, the power lines. And uh, the, the third one was a distribution. Now, I think what's behind this is that the transmission part is considered as something which would be viewed as a favor- something favorable to invest in because that system is still in a fairly, fairly good shape. Uh, if one looks at the other two, that's where the costs and problems come in. In the distribution, as you've pointed out, uh, the customers are the municipalities. The municipalities often aren't paying. So as a result, on the distribution side, Eskom is, is losing funds. Uh, on the generation side, we're dealing with these aging coal power stations and the requirement to build uh, something new. And there again, especially the maintenance of the of, of the old power stations is something that probably it's going to be fi- difficult to find investors in it. So I think what it, it, the idea is really to uh, put the two problem children on the one side and sort of somehow keep these going and hope that the distribution, uh, sorry, the transmission part, that the grid is going to see a, a large investment. And... Uh, um, yes, if whether that's going to happen or not, I'm not sure. Eskom is running out of options because I think what will happen 
if uh, we continue on the current track, there's that simply going, going to be forced to, uh, to increase uh, electricity tariffs even more. Uh, we're going to have uh, more power outages. We're going to have more people moving off the grid, what's referred to as grid defection. And those are normally the people who can afford to pay. So we, get, we might get a situation where suburbs or factories or shopping malls are, are simply going to be developing their own uh, internal uh, electricity system. And uh, the, the rest is, is in the, the setup for eventual failure. So um, yes, where we are right now, we don't know. We've certainly internally, Eskom has had difficulties. The, the, uh, the, the last uh, uh, chief executive officer, he uh, has resigned. I think he just saw the magnitude of the task uh, more than, uh, uh, than he could handle. Eskim is currently looking for a replacement, but it's certainly not the kind of uh, a position which is going to be uh, viewed as attractive to, uh, to most of the top uh, ex- potential top executives around. Yeah, yeah, Hartman, when we talk about the investors and, and the breaking off of the uh, into, into three separate divisions, uh, given the scale of what's needed to be done and the amount of money that's needed to come in to salvage this company, even if it's just one third of it, that is the healthy part of it, the sta- I mean, the volume is huge of what needs to be done. So when we look at who is a potential investor to do this, uh, it won't be the Europeans or the Americans. It may be some euro bonds. I mean, at this point, I think uh, ESCOM has about $5.5 billion in outstanding euro bond debt, uh, but that's a very expensive form of debt. So at the end of the day, um, it, it, maybe I'm wrong here, but the only kind of group that sits out there with these kinds of this kind of cash that would be able to make an investment that would move the needle on ESCOM are the Chinese. Yeah, very much so. And for a long time, the Chinese have been in discussions. Um, the China Development Bank has been in discussions, but you know, China now is starting to be a little bit more discriminating in the types of investments that it makes. So, two or three years ago, when Cobus mentioned that. The China Development Bank had opened up a $2.5 million uh, line of investment for ESCOM. Today, things have changed a little bit. And I'm wondering if, uh, you know, what your take on the role of the Chinese is in as a potential, I don't want to say savior, because as President Ramaphosa said, there are no silver bullets here. But as a major player in the restructuring of ESCOM, do you and do you analysts in South Africa look to the Chinese uh, to do something like this? Um, yes, as you say, if, if it's not going to be the Chinese, then I'm not quite sure who. The, India, perhaps, but India wouldn't be able to make the investment on the sort of scale that the Chinese are able to. So it, it, it certainly uh, that would be the one angle uh, that uh, people in this country would be uh, looking towards. Uh, there is in the question, of course, nobody is going to invest uh, without uh, hope of some sort of return. So there's a question of what... Uh, what these uh, returns might look like is it is it uh, simply going to be part of a uh, of an expansion of of, of a, a Chinese trade in general in the in the in the, in the Southern African region, uh, or is there something uh, something else that might uh, uh, go with it? Um, I mean, the Chinese have also been quite uh, key in, uh, um, for example, the, if if one looks at the solar energy market, uh, I mean, most of the solar panels come from there, so it it's uh, and they. There's certainly a lot of scope to in, in increase uh, renewable energies in in South Africa, so that could be um, part of uh, part of that sort of general initiative. Uh, 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 the tr- Chinese were also one of the countries that were interested in uh, um, building a new new nuclear plant in South Africa, but I'm 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 willing to put my head down that that's just simply not going to. Uh, 
happen anymore. I think that the nuclear project is, uh, uh, well, it was handled very badly at the time five years ago, and I, I, I cannot see this uh, uh, recovering. So I think the way the country is, is going to go, they're probably going to go in, into renewables on a fairly large scale, but at the same time, I mean, right now, South Africa uh, gets something like 90% of its electricity is from coal, which is massive. I don't, there's not many other countries in the world which do that. And uh, so I, I foresee that in so 20 years' time or so, while we can have quite a significant growth of renewables, I suspect the country is still largely going to be dependent on coal. Well, you know, if, if we can unpack that a little bit, the, um, the, the climate impact of this is, is horrifying. And then um, there's, there's recently been studies coming out that, that in some South African cities around some of these ESCOM coal-fired plants, the, the air quality is worse than in Jakarta or Beijing. Um, you know, so some of the places that are seen as, as having the worst air in the world. Um, you know, obviously this this is having a massive public health effect as well, and not not only a climate effect. Um, what would it take? As you mentioned, so, you know, China is both a, a big manufacturer of solar energy and and you know has has done some significant solar um, installations in Africa as well. What will it take? What kind of costs are we looking at at getting the country onto onto solar power, or to at least make a dent in in you know in in the amount of of generation via solar power in South Africa? Uh, yes. Well, it, it, as I see no reason why the country wouldn't be able to produce uh, something like half of its electricity from uh, renewables at the moment. Wind. Uh, um, is expected to have a slightly bigger slice than solar, but uh, but wind uh, uh, um, pumps are also uh, really really can be manufactured in China. So certainly, on that level, there could be quite a lot of uh, of, of investment uh, in the field. Um, there is also the question of of uh, potential new uh, coal power stations. Uh, and there has been uh, the, a story about uh, a Chinese-driven project uh, in uh, uh, in the northern parts of South Africa in a in a in a coal field that's yet to be developed. Um, I've always been a little bit skeptical about whether this is actually going to happen. It, it certainly runs against the, the world grain, where at the moment everybody is really trying to to close down whatever power uh, capacity they have. So I think it would be very difficult to start something like this off without a, a, a major controversy. And uh, uh, yeah, as I said, South Africa already has such a lot of, uh, of, of coal uh, power plants. Uh, I don't see uh, uh, this project really taking off the ground. So um, I, I think that it's, it's possible that uh, 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 that uh, the developers have sort of come to realize that this is not going to be quite easy. I, uh, initially, there was talk that this plant was good, the construction was going to be starting basically now. I haven't heard anything else of it. I suspect that's going to be put more on the back burner. Um, if something was uh, firmly arranged there, uh, it wasn't done via the, the, the normal process. The way South, South Africa operates is that it has these uh, electricity plans which get developed. And um, so at the moment, uh, there is no provision for, uh, uh, for building uh, coal, power, uh, coal power stations on, on that sort of scale. Uh, so uh, in, in essence, it, it, it's not following the process that is required. And even after that, you know, you've got to then get a permission from the uh, National Electricity Regulator and, and so on. 
So um, at the moment, all we are seeing as far as coal is concerned, there are these two very large plants, Medupi and Kusile, which were supposed to have been finished ages ago, but we aren't. So it, it's likely that those will be finished. And then there's a question still whether it's going to be one or two medium-sized plants run by independent power producers. Those are looking increasingly less likely. So I suspect that what's going to happen with regards to coal is that apart from this Medupi and Kusile, which are still relatively new, I think um, the old plants are going to be kept going as far as is feasible, but after, after they simply uh, cannot uh, uh, prove not to be... Uh, probably productive anymore, they're just going to be retired one after the other. And this question of the air pollution is quite serious because, uh, yes, uh, the, right now one of the biggest plants, uh, Kendall, is uh, at the moment its, uh, um, its uh, anti-pollution control mechanisms are not working. So at the moment the air that, uh, the, the, the smoke that it's it billowing out of there is uh, uh, way above uh, accepted levels. And uh, Eskom simply saying, sorry, but we don't have the money to fix this. Oh, this is... Far more depressing than I initially thought that the story was. Than even you imagined, yeah. No, really. I mean, it is just tragic on so many different levels. Uh, Herbert, let's just kind of step back a little bit and summarize some of the key points that you've made over over this discussion. Number one is the fact that we're not going to get out of this problem with solar or renewable energy. It simply will take too long. The investments aren't there. The infrastructure isn't there. That's not going to solve the ESCOM problem. The breakup of ESCOM into three units... Uh, and finding investors, there's really, that's the silver bullet that Ramaphosa is talking about in terms of who is going to actually come in and invest in this. Uh, that That is hard to see right now. So you've left us off at the doorstep of where I thought you might, which is, uh, you know, on a cliff. What is going to happen in the next five years? Where, where, do, where do we see South Africans going if they don't have a power su- supply system that is both healthy. I mean, again, we're talking about choking off enormous amounts, numbers of people with heavy pollutants. And Kobus, you mentioned something very interesting at the, in our pre-show discussion that South Africa exports its highest quality coal to China, Japan, and Korea and keeps the dirtiest for itself. So not only are the filters not working, but it's the filters on the dirtiest coal that's not working. So again, this you unpeel back the layers of this onion and it's rotten on the inside. So, Hartman, tell us where we're going to be in the next five years. Yes, well, paradoxically, one thing which is uh, helping Eskom quite a lot is that the anticipated power uh, demand uh, growth is not as high as expected. Now, some people would say, oh, that's, uh, um, that's a symptom that uh, the economy is not going so well. But I think that's, it's, it's, it, it goes beyond that. Uh, internationally, the... Um, the trend is that you don't necessarily get a, a linear kind of growth in uh, electricity. Uh, uh, once you reach a certain level, it tends to sort of flatten off. And uh, in, in some countries, uh, it, it's even starting to go down a bit. This has got partly to do with various electricity saving mechanisms. I mean, things like the introduction of um, LEDs uh, and, 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 and so on. So that... There are, I think the, 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 the broader public is much more aware of the need to actually save on electricity. It, I think it was also prompted by the increased cost of electricity. Electricity in South Africa used to be exceptionally cheap, uh, but not anymore. So, it, so what it has been happening, is that if one looks at where people thought electricity demand was going to be 10 years ago, compared to where it actually is, it's quite a lot lower. So it's, and, and every time uh, projections get revised... 
uh, there's a tendency to um, to um, decrease uh, the the anticipated uh, requirements. So the situation is not quite as so bad that one. Uh, um, you know that we did. Uh, it's, so it's, it's certainly helping that uh, the need for building new uh, plants is not quite as large as as, as people projected. Uh, so right now, it's it's really a situation of of seeing how does one uh, manage to keep the existing plant coal plants going, and some of them you simply cannot uh, uh, keep going for much longer. Uh, apart from the the, the pollution, it, it, if it's just the maintenance, is just becoming more and more. Expensive, and um, so and and how quickly can one introduce solar and wind uh, power to somehow mitigate against that? Uh, there, were, there have always been hopes that uh, uh, South Africa and Africa in general could be saved by damming up the Congo River. And there's a, a project known as Grand Inga. I mean, if it ever did come about, it would make, make certainly make a, a, a massive change in electricity supply in Africa. Uh, but again, that's that project. I don't know if it's going to happen. It's been delayed. Um, it's uh, so people here aren't really counting on that. So uh, ultimately, it's I, I see a situation where um, I, I think that the the, the crisis, as such, it, it, it certainly was bad this year. But that was partly as a result of too many plants being off for maintenance or breakages at the same time. There was even some talk possible talk of sabotage or so I, I don't really think that, that it was that but it, it it's um, now for example this is the middle of winter in South Africa and uh, this is usually when demand is at its highest and at the moment the the plants are coping even though some shouldn't probably shouldn't be operational right now so um, uh, to what extent are things going to grow and what uh, uh, extra capacity is coming online? Well, slowly the Medupi and Kusile uh, units that aren't functional yet are probably going to come online in the next uh, five years or so. And uh, um, gradually, uh, at the moment, something of the order of uh, two uh, gigawatts worth of uh, uh, renewable energy plants are being built. So that will all help. But of course, renewables have got this problem that they... Uh, they depend on the weather and depend on the day-night cycle. So, uh, yes, that's right. So ultimately, right now, unless there's some big developments regarding storage of electricity, uh, there's only uh, uh, renewables can only really play some sort of a support role. They're not going to be able to run the country by themselves. Okay, well, that's a slightly upbeat way of looking at it and a good place for us to end. Professor Hartman Winkler, thank you so much for taking the time to join us and to help explain what has been a very intimidating issue for me, but you, you actually did make it a little bit more digestible and understandable, and even found some glimmer of optimism, which I didn't think was possible uh, in all of it. Uh, Professor uh, Hartmut Winkler is at the University of Johannesburg in the physics department and an expert in renewable and solar power generation, as well as a regular commentator on South African energy issues. Uh, Hartmut, thank you so much for joining us. Okay, good. Thank you. It was throughout the discussion with Professor Winkler, all I could think about was Kenya. <laughs> I mean, just like, wow, two totally different stories that are going on here. Through the coal, the coal decision by the, 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 the Lamu coal plant verdict that came down from the Kenyan Environmental Tribunal earlier this year, it really opened up how Kenya in so many ways is doing a lot of things right. Uh, getting a lot of the electricity from renewables, uh, geothermal, 
hydro, solar, now wind, a 305 megawatt plant was just open for wind power. So the energy mix in Kenya, sure, the politics are dysfunctional and corrupt and there are problems throughout. Everybody acknowledges that. But generally speaking, they're going in the right direction. They're adding capacity. They're adding renewable capacity. Yeah. And they're pushing back on, on the Chinese when needed to be when things need to be pushed back on. So that $1.2 billion loan from the International Commercial Bank of China that was to fund the coal power plant uh, in Lamu was rejected. And what did the Chinese ambassador to Kenya do after that uh, After that verdict? He welcomed all the plaintiffs uh, to come and say, let's figure something else out. So the Chinese, in many ways, are playing a very constructive role in the Kenyan energy mix. Here in South Africa, wow, what a different story. Uh, it is a mix. The Chinese seem to be, according to my reading, and I might be misreading this, uh, stepping back. And saying, you know what, we need you guys to figure this thing out before we're going to get involved in this. The word of the day in the Chinese policy banks is feasibility. And if projects do not have feasibility and are not feasible for a path to return on investment, they are not going to get funded. And right now, ESCOM does not look like it has such a path. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean, it's, you know, one of the things that that um, Sol Ramaphosa came in on, you know, when he, when uh, the ANC won the election this year was that he's going to have a plan on ESCOM. And so far, as he himself pointed out, you know, kind of one single plan isn't going to do it. You're going to need several of them and they're going to have to come fast and they have to work. Um, and, you know, I think South Africa is running out of time. Um, and I think there, there's a lot there that China can help with, um, particularly in relation to renewable energy. I mean, China, China is a world leader on renewable energy. But I think at the moment, um, it's also that South Africa has been in a coal mindset for a long time. Um, a lot of people in, in, in the government come from mining. A lot of, you know, the, the, the logic of we have this mineral and we need to use it is very, very entrenched, you know, in African development thinking. So it, there is a little bit of a, if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail kind of problem, you know, in this. Um, and it's, it's, there's also this this tendency to try and to to downplay um, any kind of concern about climate change as as first world problems, quote unquote, or first world concerns, um, even though everyone knows that that you know Africa will be hit particularly hard in through climate change, and that Cape Town itself has run out of water last year because of climate change. So you know there, there's there's a lot of um, there's a lot of extremely pressing problems and not a lot of very inspired leadership. Um, and I think that that really is a, a big part of the problem. Well, it wasn't just Cape Town that was running out of water. I mean, it looked to be the whole country was actually starting to run low on water. Yes. So in so many ways, South Africa is on the front line of climate change, and the fact that the they're belching out so much. Uh, CO2 from coal is is really distressing. And at the same time, I think we can't avoid the politics, the global geopolitics on this, that the United States administration, the Trump administration, is a strong advocate of coal and has been promoting coal. And, uh, and, I, and I, in so many ways, if this is in fact the case, where is the U.S. administration in advising ESCOM if the Americans are so big on coal as Trump is? At least there might be some advice coming in from the from the White House on this, which I haven't seen any outreach from the Ramaphosa government to the U.S. administration for any type of support on 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 trying to turn ESCOM around, which I I think is notable in that sense, given the fact that Trump is such a big advocate of and his administration and his ambassadors as well, particularly in Kenya, are big advocates of coal. 
So it, it, there, you would think there would be an alignment of interest there. Yes, and then, you know, keep in mind that that the the coal that was supposed to be used in the Lamu plant in Kenya was supposed to come from South Africa, you know. So there's so there's all of this pressure for for South Africa to also export coal, um, and then at the same time, you know, as as coal gets less and less sexy in China, there's also this pressure on on, on Chinese companies to export to their coal plant building capacities elsewhere in the world along the Belt and Road. Um, so so neither China nor the US is actually looking amazing, you know, in, in, in terms of dealing dealing with this issue. You know, this like, providing uh, renewable energy in, in Africa c- could potentially, in, in, in theory, be a fantastic space for collaboration between the US and China because they bring both bring such kind of massive c- capability to, and technological know-how to this issue. But, you know, yeah, techn- like political will is, is something else. Yeah. So we hope that we've been able to bring you a little bit of an understanding on the ESCOM issue, which, as you took away, hopefully took away from our discussion, is absolutely critical for the entire future of the Southern African region. I mean, this is, again, too big to fail, not just for South Africa, but for all of Southern Africa. Not to mention the climate implications of a company belching out as much coal and CO2, uh, you know, emissions as these guys are. So there are ramifications across the board, politically, economically, environmentally, on this ESCOM uh, deal, and this salvage of ESCOM. Can Ramaphosa do it? Uh, it's not entirely clear. Uh, you know, everybody thinks there's going to be a happy ending at some point, and they're going to figure this thing out. Maybe not. And that's something we all have to take into account, because if this thing goes down, it's going to bring a lot with it. So it's definitely something that we are going to try and keep an eye on. I am intimidated by this topic, to be honest with you, because of the complexity. I will not shy away from admitting that. It is really scary as a topic. But it is something that we will be more committed over the next six to nine months to look at before the end of the year again and kind of keep you informed as well. But we really recommend that you kind of start to pay attention to this because of the broader ramifications and the links to China, which are quite strong in, in you know, as a subtext of the entire story. So that'll do it for this edition of the China in Africa podcast. Hey, if you want to get in touch with Kobus or I, uh, you can email us directly, Kobus at ChinaAfricaProject.com. You can email me at Eric, E-R-I-C, at ChinaAfricaProject.com. We reply to every single email. So that is really remarkable, but we do. And uh, we would love to hear from you. If you've got questions, if you've got ideas, if you've got criticisms, please share us. Tell us. You think we're wrong. You think we're not doing it the right way. We'd love to hear that kind of feedback, as long as it's civil. Keep it polite. Uh, And then, uh, of course, if you want to sign up for our newsletter, it goes out every Friday now. We've switched it from Mondays to Fridays. It's a week in review. Cobus is writing these great little summaries at the top, and we're putting together uh, all the top stories of the week. You don't want to miss this email. It is fantastic. We're really proud of it Uh, and really a great tool to go into your weekend as to some of the reading you may not have caught up on over the course of the week. So that'll do it for this edition of the show. Kobus and I will be back again next week with another episode of the China in Africa podcast. Thank you so much for listening. The discussion continues online. Head over to facebook.com slash China Africa project to share your thoughts on today's show. The guys are also on Twitter where you can find Kobus at Stadinsky or Eric at E. Orlander. And be sure to sign up for the weekly China in Africa email newsletter by going to www dot China Africa Project dot com.